Thank you. There was once a young girl who became a slave. We don't know what her life was like before then. We don't know her favorite childhood games or her dreams or her joys, how many siblings she loved. We don't know what happened to her family, her parents, if they were captured or killed. These things aren't uncommon in warfare, so they were probably captured or killed. We don't know the girl's deepest heartaches, but we know she was a slave captured by raiders. Her old life was over, and she was given as a gift to work for the wife of a Syrian general. This general, maybe the same one who led the raid on her hometown, maybe not, was a great commander. And to the girl, he must have represented every force of the world that tore away her previous life. If anyone, anyone had cause to hold a grudge or be filled with hate, it was this servant girl who was working for the wife of a Syrian commander. We can easily imagine her plotting revenge or sabotage against her mistress or her mistress's husband. We can imagine that as she went to sleep at night, she saw vengeance behind her eyelids. We can imagine it because none of these thoughts are foreign to us. Rage, impotence, being denied the good life, all because of a thoughtless, careless other. We can imagine this young girl doing all of these things, but we'd imagine wrong. Because the, the Syrian commander, whose name was Naaman, had leprosy. And the girl decided to help. I think we need to take a minute to appreciate this. All our sophisticated studies and spiritual disciplines and character development at our disposal as modern people. And we still have so much to learn from the virtue of this little girl. Her enemy in every sense of the word, and she decided to help. The girl revealed that in her homeland there was a great prophet who could cure the commander of his leprosy. And then that's the last part the girl plays in the story. She's already been through more than we can imagine, and she had already done more than anyone could expect. So the story goes on. Naaman, the commander, went to the prophet Elisha and was, in fact, healed. This story can be found in the Hebrew Bible, and this story almost got Jesus killed. When we last left Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth, he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. He was claiming to be the hero of the world. He was praised and had a captive audience. See, when the crowd heard the words from Isaiah, they made some assumptions. Let me read those words again from last week. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Who is this for? Well, it's for God's people, of course. It's a pretty fair assumption, right? We claim every Sunday, we claim promises as God's people every week. Peace joy, healing, hope, victory. We rejoice because we know in God these things are given to us. And by implication, for there to be an us, there has to be a them. You know them, right? The people who vote wrong, live wrong, believe wrong. Those who are perhaps worst of all wrong online. 
those who are welcome at any time to join us, to become like us, to become the right sort of people. But the promises the crowd in Luke 4 assumes are for us. And they think Jesus is just wonderful for getting up and confirming that. Then Jesus loses the crowd entirely on purpose and without regret. I assure you, he says, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Imagine what you do to someone who got up at the pulpit and said you assume God's promises are for you, but God's promises are for your enemies. What would you do to someone who got up at the pulpit and preached that? Really, what would you do? <laughs> Here's where I should tell you that we need to do just what Jesus says and love our enemies. Try a little harder. Have a little more charity or something. But here's what I'll tell you instead. Imagine a hot button issue. It's not hard, any polarizing issue in our country or the church or the world. Now I want to tell you that if you and I personally, if we disagree strongly on that issue, that I will not resent you or fear you or separate from you. I won't. I promise you that. And here's the thing, it's not because I'm some sort of like naturally good person. Here's why I won't write you off as an other. Because I've tried it. <laughs> I've tried it. I've tried separating myself and people like me from the ones who are bad. And every time, church, every time I've erected a barbed wire fence or drawn a line in the sand, every time I construct a wall or a moat, I look across that divide and I see that Jesus is on the other side of it. I have not ever walled myself in with Jesus. I've walled him out. This is true in practice and it's true in scripture. Look at today's lesson from Luke. Jesus was praised as an insider. People were gleefully putting up fences and making categories. And at the risk of his own life, Jesus' response immediately was to stand on the other side of that divide and bless the Gentiles. And we're certainly glad he did, right? If not, almost none of us would be here. But it's tempting, once we're in, to look at God's grace, which has blessed and saved us. To look at God's grace and say, this far and no farther. Thank you for blessing me when I was an enemy, but surely, Lord, you have the good sense to reject my enemies, right? Anne Lamott wrote that we can safely assume we've created God in our image when it turns out God hates all the same people we do. Church, let us not drive Jesus out from the town. Let's accept this hard teaching. Let's recognize the God who has saved and healed us also wants to save and heal our enemies. Recognize that wild grace that, thank God, doesn't judge the way that we do. The divine spirit, which is no respecter of persons. Recognize that it's not our job to separate the wheat from the weeds, 
but to treat the wheat and the weeds the same. Because only God sees the whole plan all at once, right? Only God sees every human heart. These bad guys in Luke, the ones we're feeling pretty superior to right about now, all the idiots who failed to see Jesus for who he was, the monsters who hung Jesus on a cross and tried to snuff out the one good thing in a groaning world. All these villains did their worst, and on that cross, Jesus' judgment was, Father, forgive them. Our job is not to build barbed wire fences or tell God where not to go. Our job is to expand our idea of grace, see what the Holy Spirit is doing, and get on board, right? After Naaman, the Syrian was healed. He asked for as much Israelite earth as a pair of mules could carry. He was still a soldier. He was still operating in a dangerous world and a pagan empire. But not only was his skin condition healed, his heart was changed and his future was changed. The servant girl, let me remind you, didn't know this would happen. She didn't condition her help on Naaman converting first. Again, we're to treat people as ends in and of themselves, right? Not as means to ends. The servant girl saw the right gracious thing to do and did it. She was remarkable, astonishing, and her grace was miraculous, and she's not even the greatest hero in this story. Naaman asked for as much earth from Israel as two mules could carry. He came to God a broken man, and he left as a moving, living, breathing piece of the promised land throughout the world. He left as a walking, thin place where heaven and earth were a little closer together. He left as an emissary, an apostle, a prophet whose continued existence itself undermined the power of the empire and the pagan gods. He left, in other words, changed just like we've been. When our lives and hearts were changed by the hero of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for us. Praise God. The gospel is good news even for them. Praise God. The gospel is good news for the poor and the blind and the captive. Praise God. The gospel is good news for everyone, even those we decide are hopeless cases. Praise God.